This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. On this episode of Upfront, UNICEF is warning that thousands of children in the Horn of Africa and the Sahel could die due to severe malnutrition and the risk of waterborne disease. Our report really shows the number of people without reliable access to safe water has risen now to more than 16 million uh, people in the last five months. That is Dr. Sam Godfrey. He's the UNICEF Regional Advisor on Water, Sanitation, Hygiene and Climate for Eastern and Southern Africa. That, that's what art does. Like, I found myself like something was stuck on my head. Like, I couldn't uh, find my way. Like, I couldn't know where I was going. We visit the studio of Derek Ndushavandi, a young visual artist based in the suburbs of Rwanda's capital, Kigali. We'll have those stories and more next on Upfront. But first, let's hear from you, our listeners. Our question of the week is, what is the state of democracy in your country? Democracy is there, but to a small extent. Because uh, you cannot say that there is no democracy. It's there, but to what level? Like in Uganda, of course, my question always is the constitution allowing the president who is in power to elect the person in charge of election, the electoral commission, there is democracy, but to a small extent. Democracy is there, but some people are violating it, of course. Some of them are being beaten because also they are violating some, some rules. For example, if you are, you are a journalist and it's like you are told not to go to a certain event, you are told before, and you go there forcefully. So if you are beaten, I think sometimes it is, it is your own cause. My country is not democratic, because according to the way I understand democracy, is the government of people, for the people, and by the people. Meaning, it is a government made up of people. And these people are chosen by federal people when the election is a fair. But according to our elections, the general elections are not fair in the country. Where some people are not allowed to vote for their leaders of choice. The previous elections, some members were arrested, especially members from the opposition. They were arrested such that the elections were conducted when they were not there. Many thanks to all of you who sent in your opinions on our question of the week. You're listening to Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. UNICEF is warning that thousands of children in the Horn of Africa and the Sahel could die due to severe malnutrition and the risk of waterborne disease. The organization raised the alarm during the World Water Week, saying that child mortality is bound to raise dramatically unless measures are taken to address malnutrition in children, which, when combined with deadly outbreaks of diseases like cholera, diarrhea, and a lack of clean water due to long droughts, puts millions at risk. The UN estimates that the number of people without reliable access to water in the Horn of Africa in countries like Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia almost doubled from 9.5 million in February this year to 16.2 million in July. Dr. Sam Godfrey is the UNICEF Regional Advisor on Water, Sanitation, Hygiene, and Climate for Eastern and Southern Africa. He tells me that the water shortages put children in increased danger of contracting and dying from preventable diseases. 
So, Mr. Godfrey, what are some of the factors driving water insecurities in in these areas, as outlined in the in this new report that you guys just released? All countries um, and communities of the world um, now understand the risk uh, of either too much water, you know, leading to floods, or too little water leading to droughts. All households and communities are familiar with this now, um, and this is really also the case in the Horn of Africa, where our report really shows the number of people without reliable access to safe water has risen now to more than 16 million uh, people in the last five months. Um, and, of course, as that water becomes scarcer, it also is becoming more expensive. Um, in Mandera, for example, which is an area of Kenya, we've seen a 400% price hike uh, since January 2021 um, in, in the price of water. Um, and there are various reasons for um, the scarcity of water. Uh, one of them... Uh, is the um, consecutive failure of five rainfalls. Um, and the second is really in terms of the demographics and the movement uh, of population um, towards areas where there is water, which is, is putting huge pressure on, on already uh, quite limited uh, existing water resources. Now, the number of people with access to clean water in, in countries like Ethiopia had increased in the last decade. W- would you say that there has been a reversal or decline in the progress around access to water in some of these areas? During the Millennium Development Goals, um, up until uh, the period of, of 2015, um, countries like Ethiopia made significant progress in terms of um, getting access to what is considered to be basic uh, water supply. Um, many of those water systems, however, um, are not very resilient um, to climatic shocks. Um, they rely on quite low-cost technologies. Often they access quite shallow um, groundwater sources or, or, or riverbeds. Um, and so if there is a failed rain or, or a series of failed rains uh, or a flood, um, these climatic shocks um, are often um, fatal uh, for the resilience of, of, of that infrastructure. Um, and this is the same in many, in many cases also for, for Somalia and, and Kenya. Um, there are some success stories from Ethiopia, um, particularly where um, climate resilient water systems, I was visiting a scheme um, last month um, between the border of Djibouti and, and Ethiopia um, that was constructed back in, in 2018. Um, and that supplies more than 15,000 people through deep uh, boreholes, um, which have been identified through satellite technology. Um, and that particular Sulamanda scheme, which was constructed by UNICEF with the government of Ethiopia, has been resilient to, to this particular shock. How is water access related to other issues affecting, affecting the region right now? Water is critical um, both for ensuring food security uh, but also for avoiding public health outbreaks. Um, Somalia at the moment, due to the scarcity of water, is experiencing outbreaks of acute water diarrhoea um, and cholera. Um, 8,200 cases have been reported um, between January and June uh, of this year in Somalia, which is more than double the number from last year. And two-thirds of those um, are children under, under five. And it's important to, to be clear that this is a, a, you know, a children's emergency. Um, and that the, the scarcity of water, of course, is affecting children. Um, and at the moment, 1.8 million children also um, in the in the one of Africa are affected with severe acute malnutrition, uh, which is which is also um, significantly higher um, than last year.
This is Upfront on the Voice of America. We are talking to Dr. Sam Godfrey. He's the UNICEF Regional Advisor on Water, Sanitation, Hygiene and Climate for Eastern and Southern Africa. And the UN estimates that the number of people without reliable access to water in the Horn of Africa almost doubled from February of this year. That number was at 9.5 million to 16.2 million in July of this year. So what can be done? Are there technologies available to deploy in these areas or some of these areas hit by droughts to increase their access to water? The real issue um, is the availability um, of these new technologies um, in countries of the Horn of Africa. Um, UNICEF has proven um, that new technologies um, such as the use of satellites or radar technology to identify deeper uh, water bodies deep underground, 200, 300 meters below ground. They do exist and they do work. Um, and UNICEF has deployed them in a number of areas um, over the, the last uh, seven or eight years um, with apartments in Ethiopia, Somalia and Kenya. Um, clearly, those kinds of technologies um, to extract water from deeper uh, layers or aquifers below the ground are more expensive and need a larger machinery. Um, and needs you know, greater investment. But the key solution to this is identifying these um, sustainable water resources and, and then transmitting that water, or piping that water um, over distances between areas where um, there is abundant water to, to, towards populations to avoid um, you know, displacement um, of populations um, towards those particular areas. Um, the other key technology or approach that needs to be adopted um, is in water management, um, particularly by focusing on the interface between human, livestock and agricultural use of water. And one of the key ways to do that is in improving the regulation um, of the use of water, which has been successfully done in northern Kenya, um, but could be also improved uh, perhaps in some of the other countries in Horn of Africa. Now, some of that seems like uh, long-term solutions, but what, what kind of responses, uh, uh, immediate responses, is UNICEF calling for right now? So some people have said that um, you know, life-saving approaches are, are critical for, for, for now, and, and UNICEF would certainly uh, agree with that. And UNICEF has put out a large um, appeal um, in our report. Um, and currently, the, the water component of that appeal is only 3% funded. Um, and there are some critical interventions that we need to, to, to resource now. Um, you know, they include the life-saving interventions, you know, such as ensuring that water is chlorinated and clean before it's provided to populations to avoid cholera outbreaks, um, ensuring also that households are equipped with, with storage, even if it's minimal storage, such as buckets, um, so that during periods where there isn't distribution of water, uh, they have adequate water for their health, hygiene, and sanitation um, at home. Uh, but equally, then the distribution of hygiene products. Uh, many of these populations um, have been displaced um, and are arriving in areas with, with very limited access to, to soap, uh, to menstrual hygiene materials. Um, and these are essentially critical for, for protecting the dignity and the livelihoods of the displaced and affected populations um, from this current drought. That was Dr. Sam Godfrey. He's the UNICEF Regional Advisor on Water, Sanitation, Hygiene and Climate for Eastern and Southern Africa. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
In Africa, we have a proverb that a tree climber cannot complain of smelling bush. Those ones who are interested in politics, there must be opposers, there must be those ones in the government. So if you are opposing the government and you face challenges, those are challenges. Don't complain about having those challenges. That's your area of interest. The community. If people don't mind about politics. For them, they are minding about what to eat, where they are staying. So long as they have peace of mind, they are not concerned about politics. Those ones who feel they are, maybe they are not feeling, they are not favored, you find they are opposing the government which is in power. Let them complain and let them suffer smelling bush. That is my point of view as Richard, as educationist. According to democracy, it depends on a person. To me, who is a teacher by profession, I can see there is education for all. Those ones who have money, they go to private institutions and get better life or better education. Those ones who don't have money still, they are free schools. They go there and they attend and they get according to... Of course, they have not put their money. So what do you expect? They can learn how to read and write and basic needs like socializing, like what? To me, there is no problem because I'm not a politician. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. Let's go to West Africa in Nigeria, where the UN has some good news. It says that the percentage of Nigerians getting married before the age of 18 has fallen from 44% to 30%. But Nigeria still has one of Africa's highest rates of child marriage, a problem that aid groups are working to address with rural communities. For more on this story, Timothy Obiezu reports from Benue in Nigeria. 14-year-old Dorsey Mega is the youngest wife of a local clan in a lady in central Benue state. She serves meals and cleans as part of her new responsibilities since she moved in with her then 17-year-old husband in December. But Mega is now also five months pregnant and cannot use a scholarship to attend school for free from her new home. She says she's confused about what to do next. I'm actually not happy because I don't know what to do. My husband has agreed that I can go back to school, but with conditions that I go from here as his wife, she says. Merga and other girls in the community received a scholarship from a non-profit started by Nigerian crypto investor Janet Katio. Katio started the non-profit in memory of her late father, who promoted education for girls in the village. Katya was shocked when she discovered that Merga had married and had not been to school for months. Merga's new family says the marriage was consensual and that the older women in the clan are helping her get by. But Katya says child marriage is a key concern in the community and is why her non-profit is focused on educating the girls. Most of the age parents are not educated. So once a girl gets to a certain age, they feel this child should be married and also not just married so that they can also get something to feed on that girl child. People, even when we were growing and when my father was training us, people were like, what the heck are you doing? These girls are already ripe for marriage. 
UNICEF estimates that Nigeria has the second highest number of children married before the age of 18, just behind India. Authorities say illiteracy, poverty and local traditions are the major factors driving child marriage in the country. This month, Nigerian authorities and UNICEF released the findings of a new survey they jointly conducted. The survey found that between 2016 and last year, child marriage declined by nearly a third, from 44% of all children to 30%. But UNICEF country director Peter Hawkins says because Nigeria has a growing population, the total number of married children continues to rise. The population is so enormous that a percentage increase uh, say for, or reduction in the case of child marriage is a good thing but the, the number of girls coming into that category has increased exponentially so the national figure sh sh um, disguises regional disparities UNICEF says unless the trend changes and Nigeria records a much more significant reduction in incidents some 29 million Nigerian girls will be child bright by the year 2050. But Katio and her team will continue trying to discourage child marriage in Nigeria, despite knowing that some girls, like Merga, remain bound by tradition and economic hardship. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. You're listening to Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. And let's go to East Africa. From music to fashion to the visual arts, Rwanda's capital Kigali has been described as a creative haven with a vibrant art scene. It is also home to a young visual artist, Derek Ndushabandi, whose unique style is gaining global attention. On a recent trip to Kigali, I visited his home studio to talk about his art and the local art market. This is, this is my neighborhood. This is where I live, Gatenga. I came here two years ago. In the suburbs of Kigali, Derek Ndushavandi, a young visual artist, takes us to his home studio. After years of studies to become a construction worker, he left to follow his dream of becoming an artist. I was not born in Kigali. I was born outside Kigali. But I moved to Kigali when I wanted to start um, high school. I went for construction for six years. After finishing my construction studies, I had to uh, think of something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to do something that had a lot to do with my passion, something I loved. 
and uh, that was art because all my life before even coming to Kigali uh, at a young age I wanted to do art I was always uh, making sketches yeah, usually I tend to paint from outside I have uh, a space here and uh, Mostly when the sun is out in the morning before the sun is so strong, I tend to bring my tripod here on my pieces and uh, you know bring some music here. Derek is a self-taught visual artist. In the beginning, he had to work for many months as an understudy to more experienced artists as he experimented with various forms and tools to create his own style of art, one that draws inspiration from his own life while at the same time challenging assumptions about Rwandan art. I developed my unique style. It took a while. And I would say that really what inspires my art mostly is uh, the stories I live around. You know, my friends, we are always living together. Uh, we work together. And uh, from these daily moments, like the days we spend together, from the experience, lives we live, uh, challenges, everything, that's where I get uh, to be inspired and then I, I create something out of it. The product is an aesthetic that blends abstraction with strong, vibrant, bold colors using objects and symbols from local folklore, like the clay pot, a motif that drives a recurring theme in his art symbolic of the struggle of many youth of his generation. This, this one is called uh, Kigingi, that's the title of the piece. And it's about a guy who wakes up every every day to hustle, to try to put in a fight, not to like stay home and cry about things not going well, especially and, and during this COVID, you know. What does Kigingi mean? It's a local term, right? Yeah, it's a local term. Uh, mostly we, we refer to Kigingi to these people who, who uh, lift heavy things, you know, like they, they lift things for people to make a life. Okay. So like this guy is actually fetching water for people in order uh, to, to find something to eat. So he always wakes up and it's a piece that I, I, I was inspired by. A lot of people uh, in Rwanda, like, they make a living out of the, doing these kinds of jobs, actually. Uh, we call it uh, Ichungo. Most most of us, like, we know it from the name of Ichungo. Yes. And what is what is it used for? Uh, mostly, um, this is used for, the, there's one used for cooking and there's one used uh, that most people uh, they, they use it for fetching water. And to store water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone might think that someone is hanging, but actually this person is trying to pull himself up. He's trying to pull himself up. There's uh, loads of things in his head. You know, like he's been staying down and uh, he's trying to make sure that he doesn't stay up. It doesn't stay down. He's going to make sure that um, he motivates himself. He fights back. He puts in fight to be able to get back up and make things work in life. This is what this piece is about. And uh, not giving up on yourself, not giving in your dreams, and let them have it. You know, and in an easier way. So this is what inspired. Like this, this is actually me, and this is actually most about my friends. Uh, this this project is uh, the the one we've been working on recently. And uh, as you can see, um, there's a player on this one. It's a soccer player. Yeah, a soccer player. Um, his, his, his face might, might seem familiar. He's Benzema. And um, it's a project that we've been working on from the World Cup tour. Uh, so they're going to be a tour before the World Cup itself. And uh, we've been working on these pieces. So uh, it's uh, like we are a lot of artists working on this project. Mm -hmm. And this is Benzema. And I have another one here. 
of uh, Pele and Maradona. Let's see that one if you can. Yeah, this is um, Pele and Maradona, uh, the two legends of the game, actually. So uh, we just had to choose uh, from the list of the artworks that wanted to be done. And this, uh, I just chose these two. Um, and, and we are waiting for, for the tour just to kick off and, and this is the project that we've been working on. It's a new one actually. These are recently made, yes. And for Derek, like many other young creatives on the continent, art is a labor of love. You work long hours each day to perfect your craft. However, in a market where few have the kind of disposable income to spend on art, making a living as an artist can be quite challenging. That plus the galleries are not quite transparent about the true value of the art. I've been to a gallery, yes, and uh, I've been trying to um, make a good connection and a good contract, of course, but I've just managed to sell only two of these pieces, especially in this unique style of mine. And I'm still trying to find the right way to sell these pieces and make sure that they get to the people that deserves to have these pieces at the right price, of course. Uh, this is actually the problem. Uh, the bargaining between the client and the artist, like you are never involved in the bargaining In the process, process yeah. So the, the gallery will just call you and inform you that someone is interested in your painting. And uh, well, sometimes you don't have a choice. They're going to give you a little money. It's a challenge and you need the money. You need to keep working. Uh, so you cannot keep working if you are not buying materials, if you're not paying for a studio, if you're not, you know, uh, paying the bills and everything. Yeah, you, you end up taking uh, whatever money they give you. And yeah, it's like the few galleries and their owners, they just decide what you have to get at the end of the day. Big name entertainment providers like Netflix, Showmax, and Paramount, and many others recently met with African content creators in South Africa. This was during a three-day conference that is billed as the continent's premier business conference for the creative and cultural sectors. Vicky Stark was there and spoke to some of those involved. She brings us this report from Cape Town. Countries like the United States, Canada, and Kenya had government representation there, while businesses in film, TV, animation, music and entertainment technology had cubicles set up in the Cape Town International Convention Center. Bonolo Madisakwane, the content distribution executive for Paramount Africa, was sitting in one of them. So next week is going to be a very busy week for me and my programming team. You know, um, we have received a lot of screeners. I'm quite hopeful. I'm very, very hopeful. She said this is the biggest event of its kind in Africa since the COVID-19 lockdown and people have taken full advantage of it. Well, most of them I had uh, pre-meetings already, but um, quite a number of them, you know, the minute they see me and I've got nobody sitting there with me, they just take a seat and they just pitch whatever it is that they want to pitch and they ask all the questions. One man who was hoping to catch up with the likes of Bonolo was South African actor and social media influencer Ernest St. Clair, who has over 67,000 followers on Instagram. Okay, so the movie's called Two Thirds of a Man. Uh, my character name is G. And um, the movie was just launched at Stay Kinico, which is pretty, pretty exciting. We shot this uh, film in lockdown and it's finally released and being picked up. We're really hoping for it to be picked up by other channels like Showmax. 
and how does it feel to be an influencer? It's amazing. Uh, I've got my own clothing brand, an e-commerce brand. So it's pretty exciting. You know, you get a lot of free stuff. And who doesn't love free things? <laughs> Another participant, Canadian singer Dominique Grant, was there to promote her company, which works with brands and does social upliftment. We help to do everything from sponsoring vocal lessons to bringing them to major conferences so that they can get into the industry. Having lived in Uganda, she's also hoping to reach a wider African audience. Also here for the promo tour for my double EP album. And Queen Dom is about generational healing and self-love. Jill Cassily, Africa's sales manager for RX Global, which organized Fame Week Africa, believes there'll be more events like this to come. She was at the MIP Can stand. Does she think a lot of business has been done here? Oh, I think a lot of business. I'm sure it will continue where people are, are just happy to be back to face-to-face -face meetings. Um, I think they're done with virtual markets. And this, I think MIP Africa or Fame Week will grow. The event was sponsored by MIP Africa, the International Animation Festival, Muziki Africa, Media and Entertainment Solutions Africa and the City of Cape Town. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. And that's it for this episode of Upfront on The Voice of America. Many thanks to you all, our listeners and our guests and our correspondents from around the continent. For more current news and analysis, visit our website at voaafrica.com. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook and on Instagram. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our videos. Just search for VOA Upfront. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vunganye in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.